it was scary to be as truthful and as vulnerable as I am in this book, but I have to say it's so liberating. And the medicine in this book is also medicine that was designed for me as well. Hey everyone, I'm Maria Sansone and welcome to another episode of Mom to Mom, the podcast. My guest today is incredible. She is a game changer. She is uh, a new role model, according to the New York Times. And she's, quote, a force of nature, according to O Magazine. Yeah, as in Oprah. Um, here's something else Oprah had to say about her. She said, Chris Carr's riveting journey started a revolution. She's irreverent and she's aggressive and she's vulnerable and she's an absolute game changer. And I am so excited to have had this conversation with Chris. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. She is a wellness coach. She's also a cancer thriver. She has been living for 20 years with a stage four cancer diagnosis. She's a multiple New York Times bestselling author. And now she's out with a brand new book called I'm Not a Morning Person, Braving Loss, Grief, and the Big Messy Emotions That Happen When Life Falls Apart. And that's more Morning, as in M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And this conversation was just so impactful for me. Whether you're dealing with something as heavy as Chris's or something else, I think we can all relate to what she calls these life ruptures, right? These things that happen, whether it's a loss of a job, loss of a family member, um, these things that disrupt our lives and how we get through it. And through being the the operative word there, because as Chris will describe, you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you've got to go through it. And who better to walk us through that process than Chris Carr? So here is our conversation. Welcome to Mom to Mom. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled you're here, especially because this is your big release. So it is. congratulations on a brand new book, baby. How are you feeling in this moment? Very excited. Very thrilled that the book is on trucks and it's getting to people's homes. This is what we wait for. This is what <laughs> you wait for. And then you wait for people to read it and feel all the feels. So Let's uh, let's talk about your story a little bit for people who yeah. who don't know it. Um, the book is I'm not a morning person, and that's M O U R N I N G for a reason. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, first and foremost, I came to this life of of healthy living and teaching people how to feel better and live bolder because I got sick. So I've been living with stage four cancer for 20 years now, and because I have an incurable disease. I basically had this opportunity to figure out how to watch and live and take care of myself in between the scans, in between the checkups, right? And so that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And, but it wasn't until a few years ago that it really all sort of came together in a different way. Because like many people, you know, we have so many rock bottoms, all of us have our rock bottoms mo mo moments, but for me, I was coming up against my 20 year anniversary of living with stage four cancer. My father was dying. My business was faltering mm -hmm. and we were in the middle of a global pandemic, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And so I knew that something had to give or that I would give out. 
And that's when my wellness practice and the practice of, you know, really championing my mental health and well-being went to a whole new level. And that was the inspiration for starting to write this book, because I believe that many of us are not morning people. It's the one emotion that so few of us want to touch. And yet we can't amputate any of our emotions and expect to be whole. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we never want to face, although all of us will face at some point in our life. So um, it's something to think about. And for someone like you who has gone through much, gone through so much and um, paved the way for us and written it all down in a book, I mean, we're very grateful for that and, and lucky that you have done that for us. So when you, when you got this diagnosis, I mean, you're a very young woman at the time. What was that period like for you? I mean, it was survival mode. It was fight or flight. It was figure out what to do. It was find the doctor then, and then, you know, realize that I had to actually become the CEO of my health because the first doctor really didn't know anything about my disease and suggested a triple organ transplant. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here talking to you today if I had done that. So, you know, from there, it's like build the team and then figure out, okay, what's this life going to live like? How can I participate in my well-being? And in the beginning, it was by addressing what I was eating. And then very quickly, it became about, okay, if I'm going to go the long haul with this, I'm going to also have to address what's eating me. Right. And you've written books about food and obviously people have loved them. You've been on the New York Times bestseller list multiple times. So food is a big part of your wellness journey. Um, but I just wonder how you were able to like pick yourself up and focus on all the positive things when you had so much happening. Like you said, it was just the convergence of like, you know, you having this diagnosis for, for 20 years, your dad then dying, your business was falling apart. For a lot of people, that would be enough to just give up and certainly not be able to pave the way for everybody else. So what was it in you that knew you, you had a choice to make and you were going to do that? Well, creativity has always been how I process uh, my experiences, but also how I make sense of my life and how I feel and whatnot. But I will say the beginning was not positive, right? And there are a lot of moments in my life that are not positive, like many of us. And so it really isn't about putting lip, lip, lip gloss on your pain. Um, the positivity and the joy and the longevity and the resilience honestly comes from being willing to get to know yourself more and to spend time with those emotions and to become more emotionally literate. Like really all of our emotions, they're, they're only information and it, they're there to protect us and to keep us safe. And so saying, this is where I am and it's okay that I'm feeling terrible and it's okay that I'm in this place and it's okay that I start to take care of myself from this place of being truthful about where I am and then being able to take that next step forward, not the next day, not to the next leap, but that just next baby step and lowering the bar on your standards for yourself so that you can actually feel like you're contributing in a way when you're down, you have no energy, you have no time and you're like, I can do this much and mm. that's enough. I feel like you set the bar so high for yourself because you take such great care of yourself that it's nice to hear that you set the bar a little bit low. What does that mean for you? Like not doing all the things all the time and just doing one thing that's positive? 
Well, you know, here's the thing. Let's take a step back because the truth is, is we all set the bar so high for ourselves and we're going through a tough time. We don't need to set to put more stress into our lives. And so for me, lowering the bar means I'm going to focus on one thing. What's one thing that I can do to make an energy deposit instead of a withdrawal. And maybe that is calling a friend. Maybe that is going for a walk. Maybe that is drinking a glass of water and letting that be enough, as opposed to saying, I have to do all the things I have to fix all the problems. I have to have all the solutions and exhausting and overwhelming yourself even more. For me, my deposit yesterday was I went to Panera Bread and got broccoli cheddar soup, which is like, my cozy little treat. It's like a hug for me. That's like my comfort food. I took a little break, no phone. And that was just a little deposit in my bank. And it felt really That's good. Beautiful. It's so good. You've, you've got mental health break and broccoli. I mean, you're winning. <laughs> Are you looking for your summer guide to adventures in Boston, the perfect recipes for your family, or exclusive interviews with your favorite celebrities? Well, you can get all of that in one place in your inbox with the Hubbub newsletter. To sign up, all you have to do is go to NBC10Boston.com newsletters, drop your email, and you'll be in the know. Before we even go any further, how is your health today? Thanks for asking. I am doing well. So again, I live with stage four cancer and my cancer is currently slow growing. And so right now it's just, you know, a sort of watch and wait mm -hmm. approach. I get checked every five years in Boston and um, so far so good. Wow. Well, next time you're here, you have to come and visit us in person. If you have time, that <laughs> would be amazing. So I mentioned Oprah, the one who goes by only one name. Here's something, I'm sure you already know this, but for our viewers and listeners, here's what Oprah had to say about Chris. Chris Carr's riveting journey started a revolution. She's irreverent, aggressive, and vulnerable, and an absolute game changer. Mic drop, Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> um, how does it feel to, to be doing something that Oprah considers to be game changing? I mean, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be able to do what I do. And obviously it's those pinch me moments where, you know, you want to be like, mom, look, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's a special person and a, a mentor and a role model to me. So I feel very lucky. And speaking of role models, uh, according to the New York Times, you are, quote, a new role model. So you're doing something right for sure. And you're helping a lot of people. And I know there were certain reasons, kind of pivotal moments that led you to writing the book. Could you share with us why kind of now was the time? Yeah. You know, like we were talking in an earlier segment, I, um, I was up against the ropes again. And what you learn is, is that you're never getting there. You know what I mean? We think that we'll get to the finish line and when our ducks are in a row, then we'll live, then we'll live our best lives. And life is complicated. You know, it's, it's not black or white. And so here I was at another low point. And I remember sitting in the parking lot of CVS and really allowing myself to just sob. Mm. And at the time my father was dying, you know, and that was really the reason why this all sort of came together for me because I knew that this was the one 
experience that I hadn't really touched or I hadn't processed. And that was grief and loss. And so I didn't have a lot of the skills and the tools that I needed. And so here I am in the parking lot, allowing myself to just sob. And I'm thinking, this feels better. You know, after I was done crying, I thought this is like a break in the storm. And if what would happen if I allowed myself to actually feel my feelings more? And that's when I realized that I was terrified. I thought if I allowed myself to feel those feelings would overcome me as opposed to that those feelings would help heal me. Interesting. And you talk about going through it. And it reminds yeah. me of a country song. If you're going through hell, keep on moving. <laughs> like there's only one way and it's through it. You can't go up, you can't go over. Like you've got to go through it. And when you started facing all this stuff um, is when you were able to come to terms and, and move on and do life. So, so you recommend people feel the feels and move through it, kind of like face everything head on. Yeah. I mean, look, getting over, especially with something like loss or grief, and let's just frame that real quick. We all will experience this in some way. It's the loss of a job, a loved one, your friend ghosts you, a miscarriage, you know, a divorce, especially one that totally sideswipes you. And I think oftentimes well-meaning people will minimize it because none of us are, you know, uh, grief literate. In fact, we're grief phobic and big, messy emotions averse. So we want to try to stay away from those experiences, but minimizing the sort of like get over it minimizes the loss. Like there's, my father has passed, right? There's parts of my life that are over. I live with stage four cancer. There are things to grieve, right? And it doesn't mean that it, I will necessarily be over those things, but I can continue to move through those things, grow through those things, build a deep, rich, meaningful life through those things. And new joy starts to fill that hole and new joy or new experiences start to sit around that hole in my heart. And both of those things can happen and be true as opposed to it's either you're a winner or a loser. It's black or white. You're going through it and now you're over it. That puts a lot of pressure on us. And how about for you being the person that is facing this, you know, you were the one, you're the one that's facing a cancer diagnosis and living this way. But I imagine the people around you, especially when you first found out, um, they were probably all falling apart. And I speak from a little bit of experience on this because as a young woman, I also got diagnosed with cancer. I will not even pretend to compare. Um, I had the quote unquote good cancer, which is thyroid cancer. But when you're 20 something years old and you have cancer, it's very scary. Um, but I just remember we were all so grief, what do you say, phobic? <laughs> and I was putting out fires. I called it like the little fires everywhere period of my life. Cause I was like, I would tell someone and they would fall apart. And so I was like, no, 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 it's the good kind. I'm gonna be fine and it's gonna be good. And I wasn't able to process what I was going through because I was trying to protect my parents, I didn't even tell my grandparents because I didn't want them to fall apart. Um, friends were just like sobbing when I told them. And I kind of found myself midway through this process a little bit alone because I was the only one in that seat and I was trying to save everybody else. I don't know if you can relate to that. Absolutely. You are so wise and so wonderful. I'm so grateful that you shared that because that is the experience that many of us have, and it doesn't even have to be cancer centric, right? There's a chapter in my book called awkward times, awkward people. 
And I talk a lot about what you're sharing because when I was newly diagnosed, it was the same. I was taking care of everybody else. And so when we don't know how to show up for people, including ourselves, sometimes we put our foot our feet and our mouth, <laughs> both of them. Right. And, and that is no shame, right? We're all going to make mistakes, but I think that's one of the reasons why we get to know this landscape a little bit more so that, and, and here's the thing that's super important. It's not your job to fix it for other people. It's not your job to make everybody else comfortable, but yourself. Yeah. And just understanding that everybody's doing the best and they might not have the tools and the resources that they need at the time. So they're going to say foolish things at times, forgive them. And the most important thing is like, don't let it stick to you. We are energy and we need to take care of our energy. And sometimes we can't be people pleasers and sometimes toxic people have to go, especially, or be put on pause, especially when we're trying to pick up the pieces after a major life rupture. Are you looking for your summer guide to adventures in Boston, the perfect recipes for your family, or exclusive interviews with your favorite celebrities? Well, you can get all of that in one place in your inbox with the Hubbub newsletter. To sign up, all you have to do is go to NBC10Boston.com newsletters, drop your email, and you'll be in the know. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about life ruptures, and you've sure had a few. I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners have as well. So can you talk about life ruptures and what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. It's the moment when the rug gets pulled out from under you. It's the moment where you feel like you've been kicked in the teeth by life. And they come in all shapes and sizes, and they happen to every single one of us. None of us can sidestep them. You know, like we were talking about in the last segment, the divorce, the miscarriage, losing your job, losing a loved one, you know, a diagnosis and so on. And so I'd say the first thing is that just understand that they're going to happen is we can't say, oh, I'd love a rainbow, but hold on the rain, right? Mm -hmm. The rain happens as well. And my hope is, especially with this book, as we start to normalize these experiences, if you find yourself in a place where you're really stuck in that rupture and maybe you're ruminating on why did this happen to me? Why me? Why me? Natural place to go, but a healthier question to ask yourself, especially if you're stuck on that one, is what? What can I do now to support my body? What can I do to support my mind? What can I do to support my spirit? and take that one baby step forward. Yeah, and be selfish in that moment. It's so hard for us because we think everything we do for ourselves is selfish, but it's the only way. We've got to put our masks on first, right? Before we put the masks on everybody else. You said that beautifully, absolutely. So before the break as well, we were talking about, there's a chapter in your book, Awkward Times, Awkward People. Did I get that right? That is so brilliant. Because I've been on both sides of these things where people have been so awkward and put their feet in their mouth when, you know, trying to talk to me. And I've certainly done the same thing. I want to be supportive. We all want to be supportive when we have people going through stuff. So if you have any recommendations, it's definitely something I'm working on because I have a little bit of like silver lining syndrome where I'm like, yeah, but the good news is 
And like, I got to stop. I got to stop doing that because sometimes, no, there isn't good news, you know, like, and you don't know until you've been through stuff that you're like, yeah, no, just let me, this sucks and let it, let it suck for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we've all been on both sides and, and guess what? We're all going to be on both sides again. I wrote the book. I've said all the things that I tell people not to say, right. And yeah. I'll say them again because I'll forget because I'm human. Yeah. The point is, is that it's not your job to fix it. You know, it really isn't. And when we think about our friends and the family and coworkers and the people that we care about in our lives, the biggest thing that we can do to them for them actually is to be present, is to show up. And if you don't know what to say, you can even say, I don't know what to say, but I love you and I'm here for you. Show up and listen, actually listen more than you talk. And above all, bring lasagna always bring lasagna yes. feed people a girl after my own heart I know how important food is to you food is very important to me as well um so yes food definitely helps everything and sometimes it's just a matter of sitting there you know you're just sitting in it with them and um and I think that's wonderful advice to put like in our toolbox what were what would you say was the most challenging part of putting this book together? So this book is a bunch of um, my very, very personal stories. So from my life as a cancer thriver, from meeting my biological father to losing him, to meeting my chosen dad, to losing him, and all of these losses in between. And so it was like revisiting some of the big moments of my life and actually putting them into um, perspective and um, using them as catalysts for the teachings in, in, the, in the book. And so it was scary to be as truthful and as vulnerable as I am in this book, but I have to say it's so liberating. And the medicine in this book is also medicine that was designed for me as well. Yeah. So before we wrap up, and I know this is kind of a big question to try to put a button on everything, but you mentioned emotional literacy, and I think that that's so important, and we could do an entire episode just on that. Any recommendations for people who are trying to improve their emotional literacy, something that they could work on like today? Yeah, absolutely. So basically what I mean about that is, you know, you understand that there's parts of your body, right? You understand that you have liver, that you have lungs, you have a heart, right? And before I got sick, I had no idea how any of those things worked. I was just like, okay, well, I put the money in the bank account and the food in my mouth and you do the rest. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I was sick and I was like, oh, maybe I need to participate in the actions that, you know what I mean? Like I need to help out a little bit here. And the truth is, it's the same with our emotions. Like we feel so much and we judge ourselves for how we feel more often than not, as opposed to saying, let me get familiar with some of these feelings. Let me get to know you, shame. Let me get to understand you, anger, so that I can care for you and I cannot turn against myself. And that's the that's really the whole point of emotional literacy is to allow yourself to love all of the parts of yourself, not just the parts that you think are acceptable. All of the parts are acceptable. And so just even allowing yourself to thaw to that idea might be enough for today. And maybe the next step is asking yourself this one question, how am I feeling today? Ask the question and then answer it for yourself. And now you're on the path. 
I love that. I'm such a visual person. So as you're saying, like, don't turn your back on these things, like bring them in. I'm picturing a whole boardroom with like shame and guilt, and all, all these little things. And normally I'm like, no, no, you get out of here. I'm picturing them all together. And I'm like, okay, do you have something to bring to the table today? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, and we're done with you. Next. <laughs> Good. You're all allowed to be here. That's okay. You're all I allowed welcome to be you. here. And then I'm going to ask you to leave. Because <laughs> so I got to go to work. <laughs> I got to go to work. Um, Chris, this was so awesome. It is so great to meet you. And um, you're just such an inspiration to me. And I'm sure everyone who's listening and watching right now, please let us know how we can support you and where we can find you online and of course where we can get the book. Oh, absolutely. And thanks for having me, Maria. The book is everywhere books are sold and I'm at chriscar.com. All right. Thank you so much. All right. That's a wrap for this episode of Mom to Mom. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Chris as much as I did. I really took so much from this um, in terms of our emotional literacy, those life ruptures that happen to all of us. And then I really, really loved how we talked about the chapter on awkward times, awkward people, and how we can try to be better humans and better friends and a better support when things happen to those around us. So great conversation with Chris. If you like what you heard here, there's an entire library of mom to mom podcasts wherever you find your podcast. Also, if you're in the New England area, you can catch mom to mom the TV show. You can watch this on TV Mondays at 1130 a.m. on NBC 10 Boston. All right. That does it for me. And I'll catch you next time right here on mom to mom. 